Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good evening, dummies. Episode 140. It is Tuesday, April 20th, 6.58. And there might be some news that just came out. In regards to Derek Chauvin or Derek Chauvin or Derek Chauvin or whatever you want to say. In regards to the George Floyd murder, I guess is what we're calling it now. Um, and I, I really don't have an opinion either way. Which is, I know, everyone's like, that's a cop out. Not really. <laughs> no pun intended. No, it's not. Um, I'll stick by what I said on Facebook just a few minutes ago is that I was not a part of the jury. I didn't hear every single sworn testimony. I wasn't at the scene. I wasn't at the trial. And I, and I don't know everything about it, but what I do know is that human life is sacred. And I also know that police deserve with no equivocation every ounce of my backing and support that I can give them. And and these two ideals are not mutually exclusive. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Tonight, we're going to talk about the great Paul Harvey, an idol of mine. Everyone knows that I love Mike Rowe. He's, I kind of feel like uh, a person who has Hendrix in their soul, but not the ability to play because I didn't go down to the crossroads and make a deal with the devil, so to speak. When it comes to Mike Rowe, I have the spirit, I have the vernacular, I have the words, I have the the attitude and the rhythmic pantomimes. But what I do not have is his voice, which is fantastic. And he just does it so much better than anyone else. But there's also Paul Harvey, who did not have a particularly great voice but a way of broadcasting his thoughts where you could almost feel them through the radio. And and that made Paul Harvey magnanimous and powerful. And I love his stuff. And I will read you humbly something that he wrote about police officers. Like I read that old flag, the torn flag by Johnny Cash. I will try to do it justice. The second thing we're going to talk about is Why would anyone want to be a police officer today? Why would they? Because honestly, I had aspirations to be a cop when I got out of the military. So I'll talk to you about that. And I also will talk to you about my uncle, something I have never spoken about. And there was a reason. Because I've lost people in my life and I have never, ever allowed it to impact me. And this one did. So we're going to talk about all that tonight. And and honestly, I don't even have a joke for you. I, I, I don't think I could find a joke that is up to snuff with the occasion and the full tempo of what's going on in the world today. We will see what happens. My prediction was that the cities would still burn. I don't think that necessarily stops. There are two other shootings that people are still upset about. And I just 
have seen the past and predicated upon that. It doesn't matter what the verdict is, but I will give the benefit of the doubt and assume because all three charges for whatever they were, were found and he was found guilty for that, that hopefully that at least quashes any type of burning or uprising or violence against police officers. But I doubt it, but we'll see. I'm hopeful. I think the human race can do great things when they think individually and not as collective thought. We'll see what happens. Now is the time for not peace. Now is the time for reflection. Now is the time to stop the craziness and the fear mongering and and everything else. But whether that stops or not, folks, that's not up to me. I, I don't have the solution. I can only take care of mine and influence the people in my network. And luckily, I've got a fairly decent network of people that I can influence. And I hope you 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 heed an ear tonight that we've got to stop somewhere or ultimately the road is all of us are going off the cliff. A man is on trial for murdering his wife. There's a great lesson in this story. So please listen to it. And if you can disseminate and process this story, and then practically apply it to what just took place. I think you will understand where I'm coming from. I might even explain it on the back half of the intro to the show. A man is on trial for murdering his wife, although a body has not been found. His lawyer says there is not enough evidence. The ex-wife is not even dead, and I'm going to prove it to you. She is going to walk through the door in about one minute. All eyes were focused on the door. A minute passed, and then another minute passed. And another, and the prosecution says she didn't walk in. Ah, but the fact that we're all staring at the door expectantly proves that there is a reasonable doubt that the defendant isn't guilty. The jury discusses, and the defendant is actually, after they deliberate, found guilty. And then someone asks, how can you send a man to prison on such flimsy evidence, the lawyer said. And one juror just simply said, in the three minutes that passed, I looked through the courtroom and I saw that the defendant was the only person who didn't look at the door even once. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Good evening, dummies. Thank you very much for being here. My name is Matthew Spear. I am your host, and I'll be walking you through this little excursion tonight. These are all my social media handles. You can find them right over here. Give me a like, share, follow, subscribe, all that type of stuff. It helps. God saves a puppy when you do so. And you can keep up to date with everything that I do, podcast, videos, whatever. Also on don'tunfriendme.com. What a great place to stop. Say hi. Leave some comments. Look at the show or look at it at Facebook, which most of you do. But please give me a like, share, and follow. It keeps the lights on, and I do appreciate it and keeps me motivated. We know what we're going to be talking about tonight, so let's get into it. And I am going to talk about Paul Harvey's rendition of What is a Policeman, written by Paul Harvey. And this was in circa 1970. I first heard it as a young tyke on a rebroadcast, I think in 1982 at my grandma's house on an old 
AM FM radio. I think it might have been an AM radio. And I sat there and I just reflected on and was completely enthralled and pulled in by the mesmerizing cadence of Paul Harvey. And I will try to do this justice. The band Still Point has heard this, and uh, I'll try to go ahead and have you feel the same way that they felt when they first heard it. A policeman is a composite of what all men are, I guess, a mingling of saint and sinner, dust and deity. Cold statistics wave the fan over stinkers, underscore instances of dishonesty and brutality because they are news. What that really means is that they are exceptional, They are unusual. They are not commonplace. Buried under the froth is the fact, and the fact is that less than one half of 1% of policemen misfit that uniform, and that is a better average than you'd find among clergymen. What is a policeman? He of all men is at once the most needed and most wanted, a strangely nameless creature who is sir to his face and pig or worse behind his back. He must be such a diplomat that he can settle differences between individuals so that each will think he won. But if a policeman is neat, he's conceited. If he's careless, he's a bum. If he's pleasant, he's a flirt. If he's not, he's a grouch. He must make instant decisions which would require months for a lawyer. But if he hurries, he's careless. If he is deliberate, he's lazy. He must be first to an accident, infallible with a diagnosis. He must be able to start breathing, stop bleeding, tie splints, and above all, be sure the victim goes home without a limp or expect to be sued. The police officer must know every gun, draw on the run, and hit where it doesn't hurt. He must be able to whip two men twice his size and half his age without damaging his uniform and without being brutal. If you hit him, he's a coward. If he hits you, he's a bully. A policeman must know everything and not tell. He must know where all of the sin is and not partake. The policeman from a single human hair must be able to describe the crime, the weapon, the criminal, and tell you where the criminal is hiding. But if he catches the criminal, he's lucky. If he doesn't, he's a dunce. If he gets promoted, he has political pull. If he doesn't, he's a dullard. The policeman must chase bum leads to a dead end, stake out ten nights to tag one witness who saw it happen, but refuses to remember. He runs files and writes reports until his eyes ache to build a case against some felon who will get dealed out by a shameless Seamus or an honorable who isn't honorable. The policeman must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. Love that. Mr. Paul Harvey, may you rest in peace. The Japanese do not speak of the dead. So, Mr. Harvey, I apologize from your rest of eternal slumber. But tonight, your words mean more to the masses than they probably ever did. Because police officers are no longer revered. 
police officers are no longer looked upon as a helping part of society that simply want to protect and serve. Movies have turned them into dirty cops. Activist groups have taken one and allowed it to poison the entire barrel. People no longer see being an officer as a profession that does good, but only does harm. Pretty soon, police departments nationwide will have to lower their hiring standards, increase salaries and benefits, and put a lot more money into marketing for new hires because the men and women who would usually be candidates for law enforcement careers will choose another path most assuredly. Becoming a police officer used to be a family tradition. It's not just an Irish thing, as is often depicted in movies and on television, and which is why my Dago hat tonight is on. I cannot count how many father, son, and even mother-daughter police families you can find out there in various departments of all different colors and background. It's an honorable profession serving the community and children who are raised in cop households often grow up with the same sense of civic responsibility as their parents. I know of one family in Washington, D.C. area who has family, cousins, brothers, etc. in almost every police department in and around the city. Meet one Officer Wigglesworth, and I guarantee you he's related to all of the other Wigglesworths. But the times, they are changing, and not for the better, because the overall attitude toward law enforcement has shifted and changed. The profession that was so revered after 9-11 has instead become itself the target of hate. A lot of people have tried to make the community's problems with law enforcement a race issue, but the cop killers are indiscriminate as to whom they murder. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, it's all about the color of the uniform, and the only color that matters is blue, not the color of the officer's skin. Officer Randolph Holder, 33-year-old member of the New York Police Department and a third-generation cop, was gunned down by a bike thief a few years ago. Only seven people showed up for a community walk led by clergy for Officer Holder two days after he was killed in the line of duty. The murdered police officer was black, and his family is outraged that Holder isn't getting the same sort of attention from black community leaders that Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and Freddie Gray got when they died resisting arrest. They've even got Al Sharpton on the defensive because how can he explain the way he rushed to the side of every other family and can't seem to pencil in the holders? It's a valid complaint. While so many in the hashtag Black Lives Matter movement want to paint a white face on law enforcement, Holder was a black immigrant representing the very best of the American dream. Where is the community's outrage that Randolph Holder has been murdered? If Holder had dodged his murderer's bullet and shot back and killed him, how would that community have responded? I believe we would be seeing riots and protesters with their hands up and everybody screaming that the dead guy was just a bike thief and didn't deserve to die for his crimes. The thing is, Officer Holder definitely didn't deserve to die for the bike thief's crimes. He was just doing his job to protect the community. He and his partner had responded to a 911 call. No matter how much complaining, ranting, and protesting has been done by people, who does everyone call at the first sign of trouble when they need help, including the criminals? The police. Dial 911 for help is, or should be, drummed into every little child as soon as they're old enough to pick up the telephone. 
Children are told that if they're lost or in trouble, they should look for a police officer to help them. When everyone else is running away from a dangerous situation, the police run to it as fast as they can. And they do it with the intention to intervene and help. Firefighters do the same thing, but in bad neighborhoods, they usually do it without a police escort or backup. It's hard to listen to husbands and wives, and specifically a husband of a retired captain from the Metro Transit Police Department in D.C., talking to other cops about the job now. While they once boasted to each other about the good work they had done, the bad guys they arrested and the people they saved, now they talk about how screwed up everything is. Quote, my husband's youngest son wanted to be a police officer, but he ended up taking a different professional route. My husband now says, thank God, none of his children followed in his footsteps. Quote, I would never tell anyone to become a cop now, he says. If you want to help people, you should become a firefighter. Then again, the rioters in Baltimore were throwing things at fire trucks and cutting the water hoses as the firefighters tried to put out the flames in the burning buildings during the Baltimore riots. We all know that's true because we watched it happen live on CNN, and then a Baltimore firefighter was shot in uniform not too long after that. The same day Holder was shot, two Detroit paramedics were attacked with knives while treating a patient. Quote, when I listen to my husband talking to other cops, retired and active duty, they all say the same thing. All of them are proud of being police officers, but none of them would become a cop today with the way police are demonized. Police departments are being demilitarized and political mouthpieces are calling for a softer, friendlier look for police officers. It's demoralizing and demeaning. And don't ask police spouses and family what we think about it. Quote, you want us to put our husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and sons and daughters wearing blue in the line of fire, wearing fuzzy track suits with a badge embroidered on them? Forget the tasers and guns. Let's give them stickers with smiley or frowny faces, and they can simply label citizens so that children know whom they should avoid. And forget those mean handcuffs. Let's use the honor system. Sir, I'm arresting you for beating your wife into oblivion, and now I would like you to politely follow me to the car so I can take you down to the station or we would like you to smile for some pictures from three angles, please. Right, because that works. Not. The reason police cars are designed the way they are is because so many crazy and are drugged up suspects try to kick out the windows, spit at the cops, and do other disgusting things. That's just some of the glory of police work. Don't pretend you haven't watched cops and cringed. Officer Holder's mother, Princess Holder, has spoken out already, calling for the New York... New York to bring back their stop and frisk policy that the current mayor did not support. She's right. More arrests are made when police initiate regular traffic stops and check for warrants and question other suspicious characters than any other way. But if you don't let police create a safe environment for themselves when they're doing their jobs, they cannot be expected to keep communities safe. Officer Holder was shot in the head trying to catch a bicycle thief. In 2001, Officer Marlon Morales of the D.C. Metro Police Transit Police was shot in the head while trying to stop a fare evader in a metro station. Nowadays, police have to assume that every suspect for even the slightest infraction may be armed because that's often true. It scares the hell out of every spouse, son, daughter of police officers. 
that we will not have a generation of good cops coming onto the police department because of the hatred and political environment. None of us want any of our family members, our friends to join the police department, but we also want to live in a country where the people who should have been the cops don't want to be anymore. And that's a total legitimate concern. Not all of the people who do want to be a part of the new generation of cops will be the best ones for the job. You're supposed to join law enforcement because you want to keep the peace, not jump on board for the sole purpose of being a part of a neutralizing, crazy, rioting generation. Undermining the authority of the police and preventing them from doing their jobs as they've been trained for political purpose is destroying the fabric of the law enforcement community. It makes the police stop caring about enforcing laws. It makes them afraid to intervene when there's a chance they'll be criminally charged for doing their jobs. And today, more than ever, that holds true. See me in a year. I want you to look at the overall number of traffic stops of cops initiating conversation with suspects or people who are looking like they're up to no good. I promise you this number is going to plunge because it has in all the cities that they've convicted these cops. The badge of anonymity, the badge of being protected from the own law that protects us is not something that's exclusive just to citizens. It is responsible to uphold police officers as well. But when you apply second-degree murder charges to a cop who did what was in the book, whether right or wrong or you agree or disagree, it sets a precedent that police officers are on the hunt and they are being hunted by this new regime. It makes nobody want to grow up and become a police officer like daddy or mommy anymore, and that is a huge problem. Right now, most cops wouldn't advise anyone they cared about to become a police officer be a firefighter instead, they'd say. With all due respect to firefighters, because my father was one of them, the community needs law enforcement in addition to other emergency services. We need strong professional police officers who are not afraid to enforce our laws and keep our streets safe without the safety net of strong law enforcement community. This nation would rapidly fall apart and is. My uncle. He was a towering man. Six foot something, if not six foot six or six foot seven, if not. He had an unflappable strength. He was barrel chested and he seemed to be almost as thick as he was tall. I was a short young man and I was always intimidated. I remember in the summer I was having some problems and I wasn't focusing and I wasn't listening to my parents and they sent me up to my uncle's house. My mom knew that he would scare me straight, so to speak. It didn't work. But there were things that I absolutely remember from him that I carried throughout my life. And that three months was probably the most influential of my life in Bakersfield, California. My Aunt Sherry, my cousin Joe, my cousin Randy, his wife Holly, his wife Megan, they know what I'm talking about. Little Randy, if you're listening, I know you listen to the show. Little R3 proud of you, buddy. Keep doing what you're doing. But this strength, like I said, was omnipresent. It was just something of a godlike stature when I was that young. And he would wield his firearm and his badge, and I was just enamored with it, if not intimidated. I remember going up there for the summer, and I had previously, the previous week, watched the movie Red Dawn, which I absolutely loved, and I still love to this day. 
and we rented it at the store, got the local VHS copy of my aunt and I. My uncle was on duty, obviously doing something amazing as a detective. And as he came home, he put his 38 from his back. He pulled his backup piece from his ankle. He put them in the drawer, threw his badge in the drawer, took off his coat. And I looked at him and he picked up the movie Red Dawn. And I nervously jumped in and said, uncle, that's Red Dawn. It's a really good movie. We want to watch it tonight. But if you want to watch it first before the kids can, you can do that. And he turns and looks down at me. And with that shitty smile that he always had said, thanks for your permission. I'll do just that. He had a way about him to make you feel completely stupid without scarring you for life. But that was his power. And it's something that all police people have. And I know I have that with my children for my military service. It's a level of confidence. It's a level of confidence that you are not afraid. That you are not necessarily the toughest or the meanest or the baddest but you understand that you face things every day where you may not come home and it gives you a different look on life. I try to tell people once you're shot at life gets simple and a lot less complicated. I remember my cousin, little Randy, he uh, was a great athlete. He he raced go-karts. He was a great swimmer. He was a football player. I wasn't, I was not, I was a good swimmer, but that was about it. But he, would always come and show me up with his talent, whether it's doing back dives off the diving board or understanding how to take apart a small Volkswagen engine or whatever it was. And my dad would try to prop me up against and compete. And that was my father. And it drove a wedge between Randy and I, where we would always try to compete with each other. And there was not that mutual respect. And I always felt that my uncle drove that and I disliked him for it. And that wasn't the truth. And after one summer when he did back dives off the diving board, my father, get up there, go do it yourself. And of course, I failed miserably and belly flopped and it was embarrassing. I remember also in Bakersfield on one Thanksgiving that he had a squad car police light that basically was meant for an old Ford, like the old Fords that they used to drive. And it was as wide as the room almost because those vehicles were extremely wide. And he had a small red Japanese car at the time. Why? I don't know. I think it was my aunt's. And he only bought American. And he made a joke that he was going to put it on my aunt's car. And it was so comical, literally, to see the red and blue lights going across this little Civic. He had a good sense of humor, and it was funny, and we all laughed. And then shortly after that, the Jehovah's Witness came to knock on the door. And my aunt, who is such a lovely human being and can't say no or boo to a fly, continued to try to appease the Jehovah's Witness and tell them that she wasn't interested. My uncle heard this as he was sitting down on the couch and decided to stand up quickly, ask my aunt to move to the side, proceeded to tell them to go F themselves and slam the door in their face. And he had a very delicate way of approaching things. I remember one time I drew a scene for Sesame Street on a giant poster board and it had Oscar the Grouch's trash can and the broken bricks of a building and just the whole flowers underneath the the windows for all the characters and Big Bird and Mr. Snuffleupagus and all of that. And my father tried to show it off and how great I was as an artist. And my uncle looked at it and all he said was, Matt, that's a really, really good job. That was it. 
and the praise was enough for me to be happy. My mother pushed them out of our lives, told them horrible things about us kids. My mother was a very sick and is a sick woman. And the one thing I learned is that I didn't like my uncle, my aunt, my cousins anymore. And I blamed them for just about everything as I blamed my family just by association, let alone for no other reason than that's what you do when you rebel. I didn't know that over that 30 years that I would be out of his life, that I was a spitting image of him in a lot of ways, his size, his broad shoulders, his manner, his mannerisms, his demeanor, and the way he carried himself. I went into the Navy and I did some things that I was extremely proud of. But when I finally moved back to Bakersfield working in Apple, I realized that I would have to have a relationship. I remember the first time I talked to my aunt on the phone as I left her a message and hearing her voice just washed over me. And she was welcoming with open arms. And even though I was lied on by my mother that I was a drug dealer and prostituted my wife and all these horrible, horrible accusations, she accepted me. And the hardest thing I ever had to do was to go to their house and have dinner and not having seen them for 30 years and not having my family to fall back on. But then it was also a great feeling that I would be able to represent myself and stand on my own two feet. And I was not going to allow my uncle to intimidate me this time. Was I ever mistaken? It was like looking in the mirror. I saw my grandfather, my grandmother. I saw my own mother and I saw myself. And I realized that there was something that I'd been missing all my life. And that was a family. And he took me in and we talked and he asked what I did in the military And I told him, and he looked at me, and I could tell that there was reverence there. And he said, I had no idea you did that. And I could see pride, and I could feel it. As we were in his gun room and trophy room, which had zebras and lions and antelope and all of his things that he had did and made a successful business for himself, and, and it just had created such an amazing life for himself. And I realized that this this man was not what I thought he was. And I saw a picture of him when he was younger. And it it was amazing. And he looked so much like my cousin Joe. And it was hanging in his office. He put his arm around me at that time. First time he had ever touched me in his life. And he goes, you also look like somebody else. You look like me. And he said, I knew back then that you were going to be okay. No matter what they said about you. No matter what your parents thought of you, I just said, give Matt time. He'll be fine. And for the first time, I really felt what it was like to have a father and someone who cared. And at that day and that time, I knew that I was a part of his family. And nothing will change that. For three years, I'd see him every couple of weeks. We'd go over and bother them and have a fire. And I just would have great conversations about God, about life and politics. And I learned so much from the man in such a short time. And I can honestly say I loved him more than I've ever loved a person from a non-physical or emotional type sense, but just a bond of respect and admiration. And then he got sick. And it was so sudden 
And I could tell he was getting tired. And I could tell he was becoming less ambulatory and was sitting in his chair more often. And he went to the hospital. And as I felt like I was his family, and I remember him saying one thing to me before he went in the hospital was we were sitting out, he was smoking cigars and I wasn't because I was trying to be health conscious, conscientious. My family is the most important thing to me and I will do whatever it takes to keep them close. And that I've been scorned for by people over the years. But I will stand by it. I love my family. I will keep them together. And you and Olivia and your kids are a part of my family now too. And I didn't get to say goodbye to him. My aunt is a beautiful woman and she protected Uncle Randy because she knew that he would never want to be seen in that condition, immobile, vulnerable. And then he died, and I never got to say goodbye. I remember going to the funeral, and a part of me was like, you haven't known him long enough to be this sad, and people are going to judge you and wonder, who the hell is this guy? But I didn't care. I stood when it ended, and I just could not stop looking at his picture. I could not explain to people how I felt about this man. And I didn't shed a tear. I just went home. And about 30 days later, I was driving on the road and I was doing the circle going on the off ramp. And I just, for the first time in my life, started crying. I I, I was so emotional and I couldn't breathe. And I immediately called a friend because I felt like it was like a heart attack, and I didn't know quite what a heart attack felt like. But it wasn't that. I didn't ever allow myself to feel so much emotion that was cathartic and palpable at the same time. And my friend just listened and allowed me to get it off my chest. So why do I bring up this story to you? Why do I sit here like a blubbering idiot? Because we are defined by the people around us. It's not us. Our legacy is what we leave behind. And I would like to think that I would make him proud. And he was a police officer first. He was a father second. He was a godly man third. But he was also an uncle. And to me, that was the most important thing that he could do. And to see the way people treat police officers today. As I see Dallas PD laying in pools of blood, I see cops being ambushed, spit on. It makes me feel pity for those people who've never had anyone like my uncle in their lives. And I feel sorry for them. The police... Do a job that nobody wants to do. And somehow they wake up every day and try to protect and serve to the best of their ability. And yes, there are bad ones and they need to be rooted out. But just remember they come home after they shoot a 13-year-old kid. They have to answer to more than you. They have to answer to their family and they have to answer to the most critical person on the planet. And that is not God. That is the mirror and the man that looks back. And if we could just try 
to have an ounce of sympathy or at least empathy for the men and women in blue, just maybe we can get somewhere and understand that they are not the enemy, that they are actually the salvation to some young boy like I was. And that is why I will always stand behind them and I will always defend them and I will watch over them as they have watched over us. We owe them at least that. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Another group of people who are hurting our veterans. 22 a day commit suicide, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress. All of it is real. They need your help. Please pick up the phone. Have a conversation with a military person. Do not let them take that way out. When you commit suicide, you do not stop the pain. You simply pass it on to the people who love you. You're worth it. You are loved for. You are cared for. Please reach out. If you cannot make that call, I will help you do it. I will make a call with you. I will fly out with you, whatever it takes to help a veteran. If that doesn't work, go to don'tunfriendme.com, click on the VCL link, and you'll be connected to a VCL operator. And if you are not military, you can call this too, and they'll get you to the right person. It's that important. Folks, I don't have all the answers. I'm just a guy. I do this because it helps me feel like I'm changing things, but I'm not. If I had 160 million people watching, I know that ultimately I'm not a spiritual leader. I'm not a revolutionary I am just a dad who is trying to be to his children what my uncle was to me. And I realize that I have inequities and failures. There is something that we do as a society, and I'm asking all of you when I say don't unfriend me, is we have to stop judging. The first post that I read was a woman who put her hands together and hearts on the post that I made about back the police. And then another guy comes in there and goes, brothers just want to get away with crime. It's not okay. It's not about censorship. It's not about words. It's about being a human being. As I feel this towards my uncle, people feel this way about George Floyd. And you don't have to understand it. I guarantee there's criminals who say my uncle was a pig and a horrible man and would slit his throat if they could. Does that mean they're right? We don't know George Floyd. I watched a video that I'd never seen before of him four years before off drugs and making a video and talking about police shootings. And it was actually a testament and people were listening to him and it was quite beautiful. That man is alive or was alive inside of him as he died. Can we not have sympathy? We don't have to agree. We don't have to agree that Chauvin deserves second degree murder charges and serve 40 years in jail, probably get stabbed in the middle of the shower from a criminal he put away. We don't have to agree, or you can agree. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that for once, can we just start looking at somebody else's perspective rather than our own? Is it possible to do that again? Does it make us a traitor to our race or traitor to our party or traitor to our ideals if we just try to sympathize or at least empathize with other people? You think that makes you weak. I think it makes us human. I think it makes us above the animal kingdom. It's not opposable thumbs that makes us human. It's our soul and it's our heart. It's our ability to reason emotionally 
and sometimes deductively. If I can influence anybody who watches this video, all I would ask is try to have a little understanding for what other people are going through, even if it's difficult to understand. Good night, everybody. That's it for 140. I will see you tomorrow for 141. Be safe out there. Take care of each other. And remember, it's just my opinion. Don't unfriend me.